long journey. Can't wait till it's over. And it will be over. But it just affects us in so many, so many ways. But I just come here to remind you today that the Lord is with us. He's present fully as God. Fully as God in our most lonely moments. Being locked up for so long and being hindered from going out. You know, after a while it takes its toll. Week in, week out, month in, month out. It's over a year already that we've been battling with this pandemic and the consequences of it. Um, and it is a, a kind of normal, if you will, that as human beings we go through these fluctuations, these uh, ups and downs that manifest themselves in different ways. And in a way, the enemy is the one that wants to isolate us so that then he can go for the kill. But in that moment when he's sweeping down against you, your family, your loved ones, your health, your mind, that's when God comes in in that 11th hour, 20, you know, 59th minute. How many believe that? I mean, I believe that. How many have experienced that? I've experienced that. <clears throat> but I also, we have to be real in living today. And after a while, it wears down on us. It wears down, and it's manifested in so many different ways because it's, it's, it's unrelenting. And uh, our life has been turned upside down in every way. And then we're living in a time where you don't know what to believe. Today, one guy says one thing, and then the next day another guy says something else. And one persuasion says this, and then the other day, the next day, somebody else says something entirely different. I live under the conviction that the only one that can help rescue humanity in the times that we're living today is the church. I live under the firm conviction. You know, you listen to the news, you listen to the reporting going on, and, you know, isn't it terrible that you found out after you had the J&J &J vaccination, all of a sudden you start getting nervous by what you're hearing? <laughs> it's too late. You can't take the injection out. <laughs> but what happens is we start uh, concluding, it's me. And we cough and we think all of a sudden it's fatal. No, it's just that you had your regular cough. And we sneeze and we think that's it. Because it's hard to determine who do we believe, what is up and what is down, what is right and what is wrong, what is light and what is dark. And the repository of truth is the church of Jesus Christ. The he, he is the truth in life. And oftentimes we, um, we acquiesce that responsibility to others. And I believe, be informed, but at the end of the day, what does God say? That's why our theme this year is listen, listen, Lord, speak, speak, Lord. And listen to what he's saying. And when you allow the Lord to speak into your life, in your journey, in your context, then you'll make the right decision because that's what he wants you to do. And we need to move forward, church, not being stuck. And by the way, you know, we live under these, uh, these crazy conclusions that if I, I feel down and frustrated, that means God walked away from my life. No, it doesn't work that way. You know, if I'm feeling a little bit depressed, that right away that means that I, I need to... Uh, Find out where I left God along the path. No, the Bible is replete with um, stories and characters that you and I know and read about and we've heard preached from this pulpit that it doesn't take a psychologist to determine that they were depressed. And yet God had a plan for them. I think of the prophet Elijah when he was running away and he hid in a cave and he even says, I, I want to die. That's what he says. That sounds like depression to me. But God still had a plan. I read about Jeremiah, who's known as a crying prophet. And you don't, don't think he was crying because he just hit the lotto. <laughs> he was crying because of the consequences of life and the situations of uh, what he expected and then what was not realized. 
and yet considered one of the major prophets and a man that spoke alive. But don't go even further. Let's go a little bit further than that. Even Jesus himself, when you hear him say in Gethsemane, Father, if at all possible, pass this cup from me. Let's not, be over, let's not over-spiritualize the narrative. But those were characteristics of depression. Yet he declares, not my will be done, but yours. So being visited by day, days of gloom and darkness and confusion, being filled with uh, uh, expectations and dreams. I preached last week about dreaming, but unfulfilled dreams and things not working out the way we thought doesn't mean that God walked away from you. Having sleepless nights because of confusion that is rattling in your mind, what will tomorrow hold? It doesn't mean that you're, God has walked out of your life or you're less spiritual. It just means that you're human. That, 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 that things are happening and unfolding in a way you did not expect. But God understands that he doesn't walk away from us when we are not in the prettiest form. He does not walk away when the things that we think and say and do are ugly. Rather, when he sees that, he actually gets a little bit closer to us and waits for us to make our way back to him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Because we make crazy decisions. Don't look at your neighbor right now, but your neighbor makes crazy decisions. Don't look in front of you or behind you. Not you. Some things that cause God to be embarrassed. But God doesn't walk away because he came for the lost. He died for those that were bound. He, he, he wanted to capture those that were confused. But church, you and I cannot uh, assume this uh, fake spirituality that everything is okay. No, no, sometimes it feels like the, the carpet has been pulled from underneath you and you're tossing and tumbling and then all of a sudden the enemy thinks he has you where he wants you. But then a cry from you to God sends squadrons from heaven to go defend you and lift you up and say, my child, my son, my daughter, you are more than a conqueror. You're going to make it through. Get back up. I'm going to defend you. Come on. Praise the Lord. And so what I don't want you to do is go into this pseudo-spirituality where we think that, no, that sometimes that things are confusing. But I want to direct your attention back to the one that is not confusing, the one that is light and not darkness, the one that is truth and not exaggeration. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. And we think that this is something, ha something happening to us now because of COVID. No, no, uh, when major episodes happen that rock us, uh, they try to rock us in the core and make us lose our balance. But you and I can't do that. For a moment, we can, but we got to get our balance right back. In fact, I, I want to talk about that in my preaching today. I, I, I've titled the sermon today, It's Time to Push Forward. It's time to push forward. And I want to use the story, the narrative found in Hebrews chapter 10. Because let me just tell you what was going on there. In, in, the, the book of Hebrews was inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's one of the epistles, one of the letters, if you will, apostolic letters, or you might want to call it a letter of antiquity. I don't think it goes that, back that far in the calendar. But nonetheless, one of the letters written to the new believers. Why was it called Hebrews? Because it was the Jews that had accepted the way. It was Jews were receiving this. They had just embraced the promised Messiah. But they found themselves in a quandary. And the quandary was this, that as Jews, their culture was saying, no, we have to follow 
the old writings of the prophets. As in culture, they would say, no, as Jews, we have to continue to keep the Sabbath and watch what we eat and be, sure, be careful that we follow the, the rituals of the Levitical order and the Pentateuch and all the things of the Old Testament. And we have to honor the Mosaic law. But we found this guy called Jesus now, the new way. So they found themselves living in two realities, living in two worlds. Like you and I, we face today. We're living in this world of faith that we believe and we move forward based on that belief. Then when we leave this place, all of a sudden we're confronted with the reality of COVID surrounding us. And loved ones that we know all of a sudden being uh, infected and sick, hospitalized and even passing on. And we're put into a crisis in theology. What do we do? That's what the Hebrews were facing. They grew up and, and, were, uh, and, and, and uh, came out of a, a cultural context, a traditional context, that for them annually they needed to, that, to shed the blood of animals and offer sacrifices because that's how you got in right relationship with God. That's what they thought. And now all of a sudden they come into the way, which is what it was called. They receive Christ as the promised Messiah, but then their uncles, their aunts, their family members, their parents were saying, no, 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 he's not the one because there was conflict. And so they found themselves in two worlds. And then what do you do when you want to honor culture and tradition and your past, but then you found this new way? If you don't do anything, you end up sinking into depression and frustration. And then that's the place where the enemy walks in and attempts to destroy you and take you out completely. That's where these Jews that were now Christians found themselves. They didn't know whether to continue the rituals. They didn't know whether to embrace. They would go into a worship service in a home or worship fellowship in a home, and it was different than their cultural tra tradition. And although they clapped and sang and did what was, what was done and celebrated the Eucharist or the Holy Communion or the, the Lord's Table in the way that they did it in the first century, they did that, but nonetheless they were torn because they're not supposed to drink blood according to the old tradition. And the cup represented the, uh, blood. So for them, they were in confusion. I mean, if they were living today, they didn't know whether to believe Fauci or not believe Fauci. Or believe the Democrats or not believe the Democrats. They didn't, a world of confusion. Is the mayor right, the governor right, or is anybody right? Is there right? Is there truth? The same exact, exact scenario that we're living in today. They found themselves in this quandary of being in two separate worlds. And then the author writes to them. And that's Hebrews, there's a question about the authorship. But the author, it was, many believe, including me, that it was Paul because of the grammatical structure and the way the theology is, is uh, presented. So I'm going to assume it's, it's Paul. So Paul is writing to them. And what he's trying to do is to pull them out of that quandary, pull them away from sitting on the fence. And church, that's what I want to attempt to do today with the help of the Holy Spirit that you may be able to realize and affirm and embrace our humanity, that we also live in a fallen world, but then also the possibilities that we have in Christ Jesus. That I don't have to walk depressed, down, frustrated, disconnected, confused, but rather if he is the truth over my life, that even in the middle of darkness I can walk as a child of light. Even in the middle of confusion, I can walk with rational thinking and critical thinking and honor God. Even in a world where things are upside down, I can walk right side up because the Lord is by my side. So he's writing to these people and he's trying to guide them back into the power of the gospel. And we sang it today, the power of Christ. 
but yet they were in the middle of confusion. They thought that if they followed the order of Melchizedek, Melchizedek was thought to be one of, he's like a mystical figure in scripture. And if you look even in extra biblical uh, historical uh, information, he's like a mystical person because he's a, a high priest and, and, and considered the highest, the highest priest. And he, but he was also a kind of Christ symbol or representation. And if you read your scripture, it's a long name, Melchizedek. But he, he was considered that, but he's mentioned in the book of Hebrews. So they thought that if they followed this guy who was revered in Jewish theology, in Jewish culture, that they were going to be all right. But then now the author is saying Jesus is greater than. Jesus, because the whole theme of Hebrews is he's superior. Jesus is superior than the prophets, than creation. He was present when the, when the Lord said, let there be. When God the Creator said, let there be. He's much higher. I mean, honor and revere and, 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 and affirm the historical context. But re realize that Jesus sits higher than history, higher than mankind. He is God with us. I don't know if you get that today. Uh, in, in this country, sometimes, let me clear up the confusion whether we're in this country, and I'm very patriotic, but I serve a higher order. I serve in a higher government. I have a, a, a true king that I serve. And let's not get confused. Oftentimes we go, oh, but if I don't, they're going to arrest me. They killed Jesus. Are we any different? We, we have to realize what kingdom we subscribe to. And that, you're getting all afraid of me. I'm not being non-patriotic. I think the Bible teaches me that I honor where I am. And I do honor... But this is not the, 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 the form that's going to get me up to heaven. Uh, heaven is not going to be a democracy or a, a socialist place or none of that stuff. It's going to be the kingdom of God. And oftentimes we want to do replacement thinking, replacement uh, philosophy or replacement theology where we think that it, it, we're all that in a, in, a, in a bag of chips. Let me tell you something. The only true kingdom is the kingdom of God. The only true government is the government of God. The only true king is God himself. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. Let us not get confused. And so the people there thought that if they did that, and they were confused, because well, the order of Melchizedek, let me kill a slaughter an animal, shed the blood, and then my whole, my whole family is covered by the shedding of that blood. So they were in the state. The writer is telling them, wait a minute, that has its place. Because if you read Hebrews, he's not saying, get rid of that, flush it. No, understand that that has its place. But now a new order. A new treatment of God with mankind. See, some people still live under law. Some people still live under do's and don'ts. Hallelujah. You can say hallelujah now. Some family members we know and some pulpits actually preach this stuff. But we're living under a period of grace that, yes, we are guilty. Yes, we are lost. Yet we are, yes, we are sinners. But the gospel, the good news teaches me that by his grace now, God making, up, making the difference. I am now a co-heir with Christ. I am now part of royal priesthood. I am destined to heaven, not to hell. Not because of my works, because it's no longer works. It's about faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you following me today? This is important stuff here today. Because if you live by the law, then the law will condemn you. And if you live by the law, you'll live with guilt over you because we could never measure up. If you live by grace now, you have freedom in the gospel, but not a freedom to say, now I got it all together. No, freedom to realize I am guilty, but mercy has been extended, and now I must follow this one that has made me free. Did you get the difference there? Hallelujah. And so the writer here, if it was Paul, is teaching these Jews who knew the law. They knew their stuff. They knew their religion because it's part of their culture. 
uh, the Jewish state is an unusual and peculiar nation because in, in Israel, uh, the, the, the uh, uh, culture and politics are intermeshed. You have very few nations that are where U.S. is supposed to be a place where religious freedom can be practiced, supposed to, because supposed to theory is one thing to practice. Amen? But in, in Israel, it's not that way. It's, it's almost assumed everybody that's, that claims to be a part of the Jewish nation, it's almost assumed that they are also followers according to Judaism in some variation or form. Amen? So athe atheism is not really embraced. It exists in Israel, but it's not really embraced by the culture, by the politics, by the philosophy of that nation and a few other nations in the world. Study it. Come on, don't look at me like that. <laughs> Study it and you'll see. You'll be just as smart as I am or maybe even smarter. Amen? Hallelujah. Because <laughs> some of you are saying, what is he talking about? So we, he's, he's trying to tell them, honor that. Honor that. Look, I know where we come from as a church. And we honor our historical tradition in this place. We thank, you, we thank them for the elements that taught us spiritual disciplines. And we thank them that in all honesty and sincerity and love, they taught what they did 20, 40, 30, 50 years ago, 60 years ago. But we thank God that God has also allowed us to honor that, but also build on the shoulders of that to what we have today. So they were founding in, found in, that, in that quandary. And now he's writing to them, honor that, but realize now that there is a new way. You don't have to offer the sacrifice. Why? This is straight out of Hebrews. Jesus becomes not only higher than the order of Melchizedek and higher than the prophets, and involved in creation itself. You read it in the first few chapters, or read the book, read the epistle. But then it also infers for us that he not only becomes the high priest in the highest order of Melchizedek, but he also becomes the perfect sacrifice. What does that mean? That Jesus himself not only facilitates and officiates over the propitiation of sin because the high priest used to have the shedding of blood and on the other side of the curtain every year there was a, the, the sin. But Jesus now becomes not only higher than the order of Melchizedek as the highest of high priests, but he also, now we, not, we may not understand this because sometimes we, we, we trip over our human thinking, but at the same time as he's the high priest, he's also the sacrifice. He's also of the highest order. So what happens? There's a paradigm shift in the minds of people, which I am convinced that today what the church needs to do is do a spiritual paradigm shift. And the things of old don't work anymore. God has stopped everything, including us gathering together, including what we thought was sacred and things to do. Think about it. Even communion has been paused. One of the ordinances of the church. Baptism has been paused. One of the ordinances of the church. Altar calls that we practice all the time have been. I can't lay hands anymore right now for now. I can't anoint with all right now for now. All of it has been dismantled. The things that we almost worshipped. And God is telling us there's only one person to worship. One. Church, we need to learn. So then what happens? We now need to move forward and realize the magnitude of what Christ did. And that's what he was telling the, book, the, people, the Hebrew Christians. He's telling them. And in verse 10, let me just get three things that come out of here because I, I can get lost on that history stuff because it's so interesting, the parallels to our, our current situation. But if you look at 10, he tells them, listen, if you're going to walk, walk in confident faith. Therefore, brothers and sisters, he's talking to believers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, in the old way, the only one that could enter was the priest. 
Now he's saying, you're all priests. So now you have confidence, but that's contrary to culture. I'm, a Hebrew, I'm living in the Hebrew world now. Contrary to culture, it was the high priest. No, he's saying, no, no, you have confidence now because of faith. And church, I think it's about time that we start walking as people of faith. That people of faith, they call things that aren't as if they are. People of faith said, I know what the doctors say, but I'm going to live to tell the story of what God has done on my, my life. Uh, people of faith feel the pain, but say, but he is my healer. People of faith, uh, uh, they're told all the doors are closing. There's no possibility. There's no options for you. Nothing down this track. You need to find something else. But you say, yeah, but God spoke to me in my heart. And I know it looks like it's impossible, but I'm walking through because that's what God, that's what people of faith do. The world sets down and a person of faith says, no, up. The person of faith shut down and we say, no, we're going to restart again. The person of faith doesn't see disaster and calamity, but sees the incredible possibilities that we have in God. Come on, praise the Lord here today. Hallelujah, hallelujah. It's not about the way you sing or how beautiful you, you plan and program. It's about faith in the Lord. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew Jews knew that it was what they did that allowed righteousness to be connected to God. What they did. And the moment they failed in one area, they violated all of the commandments. That's why no one could fulfill the commandment. The, the laws were condemnation to humanity. But they thought that if they did, and people still live under the doing. And he's telling them here, no, walk confidently now in faith. Faith. For the Old Testament Hebrew Jews and their connection with the Old Testament confused them. Because faith simply says, believe it. Now that sounds simplistic, but it's very deep. Just believe it. I'm convinced, you know, whether I got, I'm convinced of this, this is me. Whether I got the vaccine or not, I'm not going to die until God says I'm going to die. My doctor kept telling me, just get the vaccine already, just get the vaccine. And we, we, we freak out on things that we shouldn't freak out. Are you going to believe or not? I'm not saying don't get the vaccine. I'm not saying get it. I'm, you make your own choice. Stop relying on other people and just rely on your connection with God. And make your own choice. And then stop judging people. You, you, you make your own choice. But the thing is, we vacillate back and forth over everything. We have to believe the Lord. Follow protocol. Follow what is whispering in your heart. You see me wearing this all the time. But I believe this is not going to shorten my life nor strengthen it. God has the date. Oh, come on. Are we or are we not? But I'm going to subscribe to what we're being told. But I don't live according to what this world is saying to us. A person of faith, I listen to the doctor. I listen to the dentist. I take them at it. I do what they say. But at the beginning and at the end of the day, Lord, what do you say? We got to stop listening to our, the people that like us on Facebook and social media and start making sure that God likes us and God is moving in our lives and that we're listening to what he has to say. Why don't you clap now about that? Isn't it true? Isn't it true? We have to walk in confident faith. And if the church doesn't show that it's solid in the, its relationship with God, the world, we, we can't believe anything around us anymore. The only thing that's left is the church. And I believe the only one that can touch this world, rescue this world, change this world, is the church of Jesus Christ. This is our hour. This is our moment. But we've got to get rid of what the Lord has dismantled and start thinking creatively of how we move forward. He says, walk in faith. He says, 
Brothers and sisters, we have confidence to enter the most holy by the blood of the Lamb, by a new and living open way for us through, uh, through the curtain. That is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house there, it's, it's mentioning, alluding to Melchizedek. Let us draw near to God. Watch this. You, sit, you have your seatbelts on? This is not the time for you to be running away. This is not the time for you defaulting back to the way things were that drew you away from God. It's saying here, have a confident faith that draws you near to God. So if there's a time for holiness, it's now. If there's a time for spiritual disciplines, it's now. If there's a time to pray, it's now. If there's a time to seek God, it's now. It's not programs. And we got to stop complaining. It's not, it's not any about that. No, we can't even do ministry the way we did it before, right? Maybe some of it wasn't that important. If that was just babying us, it was pablum, trying to keep us nourished. No, you've got to walk your own walk with God. You can't rely on me or others. You've got to walk your walk with God and believe. Heads of household, take your role in the house. Men and women that are here, if you're a mom with a single, and you're a single mom, take the role of the priesthood over your home and make those decisions. Me and my house will serve the Lord. Hallelujah. You're trying to run your family like a democracy. No, it has to be a theocracy. You know, no, no, never mind you disagree. I'm God here. I'm making the decision. And me and my house will serve the Lord. And you say, later on when they get older, they do what they're going to do. But don't you notice even when they get older, they're still looking for your advice. We have to make sure that we draw near to God. And I think it's to, people are saying, I feel so weak because we're not getting to ready to, to, we're not getting together to pray. Listen, listen, listen to what you're saying. Listen to what you're saying. You're actually not saying this, but this is what you mean. I don't have time to pray. And that blows my mind because in a time when you're locked up, you don't have anything to do 24-7. You're in your house because you can't go out. Now you don't have time. When are you going to have time? Don't look the other way. When? When? This is an opportune time in your, in, your, in your life. And all I'm saying is take ownership of who you are. Take ownership of you. And develop yourself. And he's saying here, you need to be able to have confidence and faith to get in there before the throne of glory and then draw near to God. Everything has been taken away from us. Everything. We started meeting in July. Before that, we couldn't even meet. You're going to tell me that because of that, your faith got weak? You're saying, the, you, you know what? God is not responsible for your level of faith. You are. I am. Don't put it. No, but then I need a prayer group to help me. No, no, you need to make yourself your own prayer group. Stand here, stand here, stand here, and stand here. And now you have four people that are praying. You, 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 and you. Say hallelujah if you can. If you're not, just smile at me. We're relying on the, on the next video. We're relying on the next preaching. Oh, they don't have any more conferences anymore. In heaven, they're not going to be any more conferences. Neither in hell, by the way. You need to make that. That's not what's nourishing me. Where are you being fed? What are you being fed? Hallelujah. I'm not mad. You say, well, why is he talking? I'm not mad at anybody. I'm not angry. I love you. I want you to follow me down this path of what God is doing because he's doing something new. He's taking us down. I'm going to preach it again. He's taking us down a path we've never been down before. But we cannot be the same. We cannot be the same. We have to change. We have to develop ourselves. You need to pray, seek God. You have to uh, develop your own spiritual uh, uh, drawing to God. 
and stop relying on others. The preaching was bad. The preaching was good. I'm only going to go when so-and-so preaches. Come on. The Lord speaks to you in every, even nature the Lord is talking to, screaming to us oftentimes. Let us draw near to God in full assurance that, that, that the faith can bring, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from guilt, conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water. Those are key words that he's saying to the Jewish mindset right there. Walk in confident faith. Don't vacillate back and forth. Walk in confident faith. Verse 23 says, Let us hold on swervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. You know how I, 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 I level set that? Because the first one was walk confident in faith. The second point is, just walk your talk. <laughs> walk your talk. Yeah, but I'm saying it for them. No, no, say it for yourself. Preach to yourself. <laughs> Exhort yourself. Some people don't like that because, no, but we're a community. With some, yeah, I, I'm going to get to that in a moment. Because that's, that's one of my points. I'm going to get to that. But oftentimes we're waiting on being fed by the wrong thing. He says, hold unswervingly. Hold in the original is to embrace and not let it go. That means to hold uh, so firmly that it will not escape from you. And then unswervingly means come good or bad, whatever life has to dish out, I'm still going to continue holding. And I believe it's easy to hold when things are doing well. But when you've prayed, prayed, and there's no answer, you still have to hold. When he hasn't healed you yet, you have to hold. Yeah, when you're doing well, the job is fine, your health is fine. Hold on, that's easier. But when things get turned upside down, when what you expected is not what you got, you need to hold on there. In fact, even when you can't trace him, you still have to. Anybody been there? I've prayed. It doesn't seem like you're hearing me. I pray, but I don't feel you. I pray, but I don't know. I think I'm the only one talking here. You're not talking, God. Hold. Hold. I want to encourage you, church. No matter what unfolds moving forward, hold to the faith. And he's talking to a people that were going to be punished, punished by their families and by their culture and society for now accepting the way. And I believe worshiping in America and this country has spoiled us. We don't understand suffering. We don't understand suffering for our faith. In most parts of the world, Christians are even killed for their faith. They can't gather in a place like this. They can't even gather in their homes. They have to find secret places, underground places, in order to be able to serve God in the way that they know that they've discovered and I believe we're spoiled, and the American church is spoiled. We are spoiled. Because if it isn't in the building, if it is, but you know what? If you rely only what happens in this building once a week, you're going to die spiritually. You won't become a true servant of the Lord because this doesn't demonstrate your closeness to God. When you walk out of that door, that determines your closeness to God. We need to walk the talk. Hold unswervingly what we've been saying if you've been confessing it. Church, you know, I, I, one of the things that I, I want to sit down with God when I get to heaven, and I say it this way because I'm on this side, and that side, we won't have to sit down with him because everything will be revealed. But let me speak as a human being. I'm in a glorified body yet. So when I get to the other side, is you know, how come we prayed for so-and-so and we believed and, and you still took them home? 
How come that family was visited with disaster after disaster after disaster? Why did that happen? Because we're viewing it for human eyes. How many humans we have here, right? We're viewing it from this side. We don't understand. When we get to the other side, no explanation necessary because the glory of God is going to be so enveloping us that everything will be revealed. We will know without even asking. Our level of consciousness, our, el uh, our element of understanding will be so greatly enhanced. Even science t tries to tell us that we only use 3 or 4% of our human intellect, the capacity of our brain and thinking. Hallelujah. Did you know that 3%? Don't look at anybody right now that has 2%. But <laughs> so the, we have untapped resources of intellect, and it's so true. And you know, you know what's a glimpse to that, Reverend Isaac? I was watching the other day this young kid. He's uh, 10 years old. Or Schultz is his last name. He's a prodigy. does not read music. This kid sits down. No one ever taught him anything, and he's a prodigy. That means inside of him there was a wiring toward music. This guy plays. In fact, he's an incredible musician. He's 12 years old. plays better than masters. Because the human spirit, the human capacity is beyond what you and I will understand. So right now, we judge God. Why did you take my mother? We judge God. Why did my marriage break up? We, 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 why did I lose my job? Why am I living this way? Why did I get to be all these questions? We pepper God. One day when we get to the other side, it will all make sense. That's part of the glory of eternity. But, while, but we're still on this side. So on this side, what we need to do, even, and I've said this to you before, this is what I practice. Mature people carry their unanswered questions and still serve the Lord. I don't know why God took my mother home the way he did. I don't like the way she passed away. But you know, they, one day, it will be clear. I don't know why God allowed you to be abused when you were a little boy, little girl. I wish I could make that all go away. I can't. All the prayer in the world is not going to erase the memories of the brutality you had to go through. But I have faith and trust him so much that he did not forget me, one day those wounds will disappear. Those scars will be gone. We'll be in a glorified state with God. I don't want to diminish your experience and your injury and your pain, but I do want to tell you that we need to just hold on to God. In fact, we need to hold that unswerving. What we say, we need to stay there. That's why I believe that when you've had a real encounter with God, you never break away from him. You never break away from him. Or the term we use, backsliding. That's the term that's, that's used. I believe that once you have an encounter with God, some way, some you may not be in our church, but you, you, once you discover the goodness of the Lord, uh, I love chocolate. They say the best chocolate in the world is in Belgium. I went to Belgium. We tasted chocolate. It's true. <laughs> I've had chocolate here, there, and everywhere. I've gone to Hershey, and you could smell it in the street, right? But they ain't nothing like the chocolate. So once you've had it, you'll put up with everything else. But you, once you drink from that fountain of forgiveness, once you drink from that fountain that the Lord picks you up and carries you, once you've walked in the light of the Master, 
Once you've had the joy of salvation in your life, there is just no way you can put your back on that kind of joy, on that kind of transformation. You might be sick, but you still honor him. You might have pain, but you can still stretch out your hand and praise the Lord because he's just been too good for me to walk away. He's been too good. Once you've experienced the best, everything else becomes irrelevant. Come on, praise the Lord in the house today. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. I don't serve the Lord because I'm a pastor. I serve the Lord because I am a servant of God. I go before the altar of brokenness, and I can't believe that he has loved me to that degree, regardless of position. If I lose this all today, that is not going to change my walk with God. If sickness visits my body, which I hope never happens, well, if it does, I'm going to do just like Job. I know that my Redeemer lives. There is no pain, no suffering, no storm, no trial, no demon, no devil, no problem. Hallelujah, God's been too good to me. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Clap for a moment so I can take a pause. Hallelujah. 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 Hold unswervingly. Don't give up, sister. Don't give up, brother. Don't give up, young person. Don't give up. Hold on. Hold on. Unswervingly. Walk in confident faith. Walk the talk. And then he goes on to the famous verses here in this passage. 24 and 25, let us consider how we may spur one another toward love and good deeds. And I want to explain this for a moment. Can I explain this for a few moments? Because I think it's important. Can I explain it? All right, those that didn't answer, I'm still going to explain it. But <laughs> let us consider how we may spur. We think that I have to, uh, Pastor Enid, or one of the, one of the I'm going to use the pastors because I won't get offended by how I'm going to go. Pastor, Enid, Pastor Fernando, let's go Pastor Fernando. So I'm praying, Lord, I want, to have a, I want to have a wonderful relationship with Pastor Fernando, right? And that's good. That's noble. That's what we should do. Pastor Enid, Pastor E.G., Pastor V., Pastor Carmen, Pastor Will, Pastor uh, uh, Ralph, my wife, Pastor E. in the back. Um, <laughs> wonderful relationship, right? My brother-in-law, John, wonderful relationship, right? And we think that's wonderful because we, we want to meet with people. I can't wait till we hug people. I can't wait till we cry on one another and... But encouragement spiritually is not for that. When he says here to, and let me read it right directly, when he says here that we may spur one another toward love and good deeds, that's for outside the building. And I want to, us to recalibrate. We think that koinonia is so that we can gather once again and feel good sitting next week and hug one again. It's for service. It's for love outside. It's to be able to do the works of ministry outside the door. It is not to stay here and sing kumbaya and we're happy or happy with each other. It's being able, yes, to have a relationship with Pastor Fernando, that horizontal relationship, but that together now we become servants of the least of these. That's why I insert social justice and urban ministry. Oftentimes we think it's about clapping ourselves happy and breaking as many uh, tambourines as we can as we sing. No. It's not about that. It's about that as the fuel to serve them. Are you getting This is very important. Because as we get back to the end of COVID, and we start reimagining what we're supposed to be doing as the Lord would lead us, and as we start to put things in its place and not revive certain things that we thought we needed to revive, it isn't so that we can feel good in here. It is so that we can be better equipped and prepared to serve 
the least of these. When Peter was filled with the power of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts, he was filled and transformed that he became a preacher, something he had never done in his life. Peter was good at taking out the sword and chopping people's heads, but he always missed and got the ear. That's Peter. Peter was the one that gave Jesus a hard time. He was a knucklehead oftentimes. Peter is the one that denied. He looked at a distance and said, I don't know him. That's Peter. The power of the Holy Spirit changed him. And he preached a sermon that every preacher would like to preach. The very first sermon out of the gate, the book of Acts says that thousands came to know the Lord. Don't worry about that. I won't step on it. Thousands. We preach and people go to sleep. Hallelujah. Get distracted. Right? Because we preach too long, too short, too deep, too shallow. That's what it amounts to. Peter preached, transformed. And what did they do? Not only, and that was as a result of the upper room experience, right, the Pentecost, they, and pretty soon, uh, next few weeks, we'll be doing Pentecost Sunday. The power of the Holy Spirit transformed Peter to become a preacher. Thousands came. What did the church do? They sang Kumbaya in the upper room. This is good, 120. Oh, feels so good. It's good to see you. It's been a long time. We haven't been together a long time. Yeah, we're having a fellowship. We're having tea. The Bible says that they left the upper room and they penetrated, inserted themselves in culture. It says at the end of chapter 2, verse 20, uh, 22, 24, to the end, the last few chapters, it says there that the church met the needs, every need of the community. It is in the book of Acts. The Bible says, book of Acts, that they had a big battle between how they were feeding the widows. They weren't even talking about women in ministry, the things that are so popular today, or whether it's speaking in tongues is part of the church thing. Not, none of that followed the apostolic rule. What was it? They, they started fighting about that they were feeding the widows, and there was a, an, an unequal distribution of services. But they were serving the people. Church, we need to be known as servants of believers, but also of non-believers as well. People that would never come to the fold. What are we doing? I think when we reconfigure, we need to do that even more strongly. Through Vision Urbana and other organizations. That's what this means here. Let's spur one another. Pastor Fernando, I want to get to know you better. Pastor Vigi, Pastor, all the pastors and leaders here. I want to get to know you, Vanessa. I want to get to know you more this way. But it's not so that we can be chubby, chubby buddies. And then when the restaurant's open, we can go to you know, Olive Garden. No, we need to put our resources together. How do we serve? Is this, too, is this okay for you? Yeah. How do we serve the least of these? That's what he was telling them. Hebrews, you've been so caught up in your own culture, in your own historical context, in all your religiosity, waiting for the Messiah. The Messiah's come. Now is the time to spur forward and meet the needs of people. And then he says, ready for this one, this is a bit controversial now. He says, not giving up meeting together. <laughs> the big question. Where are we going? Look, we, I'm glad you're here, but you hear the discussion back and forth. When are we going to get together so the church can get the church? The church never stopped being the church. And we need to start looking at, there's a reason why God separated us for a while, to see what we're really made of. And we need to gather together. Here's what the Society is telling us. Studies show right now that probably 20 to 25% of the people will never come back to church again because they're upset. I don't want to sit there. I don't want people telling me about my, my mask. I mean, think about it for a moment. This could save your life. And I, don't, I want to sit. 
It's amazing. It's amazing. Our level of maturity is determined by our humble obedience. Humble, I don't, I don't like it, but I'm going to do it, right? And it says here, you need to be able to not give up. And studies are telling us that about 20 to 25% of the people are not going to return because they, they want to return to the old things the way they were before, and they're not comfortable all this time being away. You know, just uh, feed me, feed me, feed me, and I'll, that's better for me, my convenience. Other studies are also showing, listen to this, this is recent, that there's a new harvest coming in. A new harvest. Where there is a problem, God creates an opportunity. And so this is what it means for us, church. And I know I'm taking a little bit longer with this one. This is the last point, but hallelujah, hallelujah. Um, we, we need to realize that some things will not be put together again. We need to realize that our task is not just to sing in here, but how can we do this and take it out? How can we bring light to darkness? How can we rescue the lost? The church was not formed. The beautiful church, Iglesia, was not created. She's the bride. The bride, imagine a bride gets all dressed up, ready to go, and no one ever sees her. The whole function and reason why the bride gets all dressed up, dressed up on that day because that's her day. Take all the pictures and videos. She is going to come out, and you're going to see her. The bride needs to be displayed. The bride of Christ, the church. So if you like being in a corner where nobody sees you, start making adjustments in your life because we need to insert ourselves in culture with the light of Jesus Christ. Not giving up on people that were overlooked in the past. Not trying to make people qualified in order to walk into the door, but rather receive them just as they are and let the Holy Spirit begin the transformation in their lives. That's what it's about. He says, not giving up meeting one, one, uh, meeting together, as some have the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as the day approaches. And there they're talking about, as they look into the eschatological future, which I'll just leave it right there, but they were looking into their hope for the future. Church, we are at a place as a church, and I believe as a nation, that God has taken away all the things we thought were valuable and all the things that we thought worked, and God has erased all of that. And he says, can we just be purveyors of the true gospel of Jesus Christ? We've been too wrapped up and tied up by denominationalism and religious theology that has brought confusion rather than anything else. And are we willing to have sufficient faith in God to say, Lord, whatever you want to do. I believe that this is the greatest season to be pastoring. Some people say because I've been pastoring 40 years, he's one of the older guys. <laughs> This is an exciting time to be in leadership. Exciting time to be able to see people stand on this pulpit, minister to this congregation, minister to the world in ways we never thought possible. The message doesn't change, but we had to change things. We can't gather. Now we do things on the Internet. We didn't know that was so important, but obviously it is. You've been faithful in your participation in this ministry. That's why we're able to do what we're doing. And some of the services you've seen that we've had to tweak sound here and there because the system goes a little bit cuckoo because what we're doing is pouring in resources there because we know once COVID is over, that's going to continue. It's 
going to continue in some form or shape. We'll, have, we'll be a church that transmits our services, but people out there, they will never visit our doors. We need to continue reaching them in some creative way. And church, we are doing it already. We, we recently bought a new board that we had to buy back there. To, and we're, buying, we're setting up some equipment. We spent, we needed, it was, always, it was about $10,000. Church, we didn't ask you for an offering. You've been giving all along. You've been, you've been gracious and obedient and taking steps of faith. So from our general fund, we were able to purchase that because you believe in what we're doing. And God has been blessing you and blessing us individually. That's mighty. That's mighty. I mean, if we have a big project, we'll come to you. But for stuff that we can handle, we've been handling it because you have been faithful. And we are gearing up for the reemergence of ministry. But it's going to be a little bit different. How different? I don't know how radically different. But I know we're going to be praying for everything that we thought was sacred. Do we need to go back to that? Yes, we'll go back to baptisms. Yes, we'll go back uh, to, to praying for people up here. But I'm talking about programmatic things. What do we need to do? Because if the only hope for society today is the church, the church needs to be ready. We need to, it's time to push forward and embrace the plan of God. Let's stand up in our seats. I want to pray. Can you slip up your hands for a moment? I just want to pray with you. Father, I stand alongside this precious congregation, realizing your loving goodness to us, Lord. And Father, thank you that the word just tracks for us our future. Help us, Lord, that we've learned lessons during this, uh, this horrible period of COVID-19 and that we can emerge on the other side united like never before. Help us to embrace our faith, not vacillating back and forth, but embrace our faith. Help us, Lord, that we might walk our talk, that the things that we believe and we confess, that we will walk in them as well. And help us, Lord, that we can walk together, spurring one another, Lord, to continue serving people around us. I pray, dear God, that you will shower the gifts of the Holy Spirit in our lives, that we may bring those gifts to fruition, serving the people around us and those here in this place as well. I pray, dear God, that the power of the Holy Spirit will guide us always, that we may not embrace agendas just simply for embracing agendas, but rather, Lord, that we will embrace your kingdom, your plan, your purposes. The only thing sacred, Lord, is the throne of glory, is Jesus Christ, is the word, everything else, Lord. Guide us, teach us, help us. I also pray for those that are here today that need to embrace their walk, their faith. They're waiting on others to pour into their lives, Lord. Give them the ability, the resources to feed themselves, to strengthen themselves, to gather along with us, Lord, as we move forward in this thing called ministry. I pray, Lord, for the endowment and power of the Holy Spirit over our lives, that He, Lord, may move in such a way that the gifts that are deep inside will rise to the surface so that together, Father, we can be the beautiful church, the church that can respond to the condition of mankind. I thank you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Can we worship the Lord and just praise him for a few moments?